With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, I'm George Cup, And I'm Callum Gurr. And you're about to listen to the podcast version of To Be Discussed with Cup and Gurr. Please note that this is a podcast, so it's not a live broadcast. So please do not try to vote in any of the polls or send in messages to any of our discussions as your message will not be registered, but you may still be charged. Also, please note that not all of the opinions expressed in this podcast are our actual opinions, but may be expressed to create a better discussion. Anyway, enjoy the podcast and don't miss our live broadcast every Sunday on Wizard Radio Station. Evening. This is To Be Discussed with Cup and Gur, a show that proves that different political opinions do not have to end in feuds and the breakdown of friendships. My name is George Cup, and I've been joined by my co-host and political opposite, Callum Gur. Good evening, everybody. That's right. George is a hardline Brexiteer and true blue conservative, or as I'm a Lib Dem and Ramona. But despite these different standpoints, we are still good friends. Tonight we'll be asking, do you support a no-deal Brexit? Who is the greatest female music artist of all time? And finally, um, we will be asking the question, uh, were NATO correct to intervene in the 2011 Libyan civil war? Uh, With each of these discussions being accompanied by polls, which you have the chance to vote on at wizardradio.co.uk forward slash listen. And these discussions will be open until the end of the song break between each topic. But first, last week, we asked you to send in your opinions on the following question. Do you support positive discrimination? And as always, you guys have been sending in loads of messages and we've picked a couple out to discuss this evening. So our first one comes in from Zach and he says, my problem with positive discrimination is that it undermines actual achievements when they do happen because everybody thinks that that person only achieved that thing because of positive discrimination. The classic example is with university places. If they use positive discrimination to give ethnic minorities a set amount of places, it leads to people assuming that some people got to that university because of a quota rather than their actual intelligence. And nobody wins in that scenario. I think positive positive discrimination is a nice idea, but doesn't actually work in reality. Callum, what are your thoughts on that? I think that's actually a really good point, Zach. It's it's not something I'd really uh, thought about in terms of positive discrimination, I think, in terms of actually what kind of 
negative effect it could have for someone that um, actually without positive discrimination in place would have got to that place or got that job in anyway sort of thing and and the kind of uh, stigma that can be created because of positive discrimination which which as Zach says it is a nice idea and it obviously has um, I think the right motive behind it which is to basically um, encourage a greater level of equality and equality of opportunities between individuals particularly um, for those from maybe ethnic minorities or or women or from the LGBT plus community who you know, historically and, and perhaps culturally, don't get those opportunities so much. So I, I think that is a really good point. I mean, personally, I still do support positive discrimination despite that. Um, but I think Zach's point is evident that you do need to kind of toe a, a careful line and and it needs to be implemented in a way that doesn't almost, um, a, a, as a as a consequence, encourage a greater level of stigma or discrimination against uh, the people that we're actually trying to make more equal what do you think george well i i, I think uh, i mean you've kind of stolen the uh, my answer from my mouth callum um <laughs> have you uh, secretly been looking at my notes uh yeah of course i have george oh brilliant um <laughs> now I, I i think it's really interesting what zach's saying because it's not often when i come to answer these questions i actually think about the person that is being promoted by positive discrimination now i more think about those that are being left behind as such by positive discrimination um and i think zach makes the really important um position that actually those that um might be seen to be in promotion through positive discrimination actually get affected or can be worse off because of the this idea of positive discrimination i think zach's right to point out the fact that in in a idealistic world it is a fantastic thing to do because the causes of it are obviously to create equality within society but those um, minority groups that can sometimes benefit through positive discrimination um are can be seen in, in a worse light because people as Zach says might just think oh they're only there because of um the impact that positive discrimination has had not the true values and the true level of experience and the knowledge that they they possibly have to be in the position that they are in um and i think that's really important i think we have to definitely make sure that we aren't judging people um for being in the position that they're in just because of their ethnic background we absolutely should um, take make sure we are assessing the whole situation of actually what degrees do they have, what knowledge do they have, and that they are just as entitled in that position than anyone else. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so moving on to the next opinion, it's in from Emily. Emily says, the thing is that certain groups in society have been discriminated against for so long that it means that even today, when society is much more equal, people already aren't starting off on the same foot. For example, if you come from a poor family or an ethnic minority, it is more likely that you will be the first generation of your family going to university. It's proven that that makes it more difficult for you to get a place. That's just one example. Positive discrimination is important because it helps to reset the decades of discrimination against certain people and put them on a level playing field with everyone else. What do you think of that, George? Um, it's Emily's made an argument that's very hard to argue against, to be honest. Um, she's <laughs> worded it very well. I, I think the the 
um, problem that I will take with with her opinion is that as much as I do agree that people from poor families and ethnic minorities should have an equal opportunity to go to universities and I would definitely love to see that study that she's um, found that says that if you're the first generation to go to university you're less likely to um, get in or, or you're more it's more difficult to find a place at university um, because I, I think that throughout as time has gone on we have seen the um, the backgrounds of of uh, poor poorer families and um, ethnic minorities uh, they're more and more likely to get places at university and i don't believe that's because of um positive discrimination i believe that's I because of the recognition of the, the work that they're doing i think there is more support in, in educational terms of um, ethnic minorities and poorer families to help help make sure that they are being promoted and help make sure that they are um succeeding to every possible ability that they can succeed to um so i think as such we we can't allow ourselves to get into a system where we are just giving places away because they're from a worse off background i think we do definitely have to make sure that we are um, assessing someone on an equal playing field and, and um as such not having any names or anything like that on documents and just going from the grades and the individual that is descriptive on a bit of paper um, and allow people to go to university or get, get into jobs that way. And I believe that is the only fair way we can go around it. But what do you think, Callum? Yeah, no, I think it's a really good um, opinion from Emily and it's really kind of well articulated. Um, what, one question I did have for you, George, is yeah. do, do you think that positive discrimination actually whether or not it's a suitable kind of method to pr promote equality does actually depend upon what kind of uh, context it's applied to so mm. so for example if we're talking about university places then then perhaps it's it's not necessarily the most ideal thing positive discrimination but if we're talking about maybe um parliamentary candidates or or if we're talking about um, the composition of a board of directors in a business, then perhaps actually positive discrimination does have a place there because kind of from, from an electoral uh, perspective, um, it's obviously good to have a good um, variety of opinions and, and a variety of um, people from different backgrounds there because, yes, you get different opinions there, but also um, the electorate can see themselves more more in in you if there's more diverse people there uh, so do you think it depends upon the context or are you completely against it no i, I think we there are there is room for positive discri discrimination in certain areas and i do think you make a very good point when we're looking at the um mps parliament um director boards and things like that absolutely we need a reflection of society and parliament and i think that's where positive discrimination is a very good thing but even still i would hold a problem with the fact that we should never just say oh we should have a woman in that position to reflect society when there could be a bloke that is fantastic for that role but we're just discrediting him for the fact that he is a man um that is where i would um raise a problem with it but absolutely in, in positions like that we need to make sure that we are reflecting um members of society um because then the electorate will feel like they are probably um being represented in parliament yeah 
Um, right. Okay, everyone. Remember, we will be announcing what the question will be for you to send in your opinions on at the end of tonight's show. So make sure you're ready for that, for the chance to be featured in this segment of next week's show. But it is now time for the so first song break of this evening. So we'll be back very soon. And welcome back to To Be Discussed. Time to move on to our second discussion of this evening. And we are asking the question, do you support a no-deal Brexit? So a no-deal Brexit, simply put, means that when Britain leaves the European Union, it will completely leave most of the existing obligations and agreements it has with the EU and instead trade on World Trade Organization terms. Meaning, and meaning that tariffs, a little like taxes, will return onto goods coming and going to EU nations. Boris Johnson, the UK Prime Minister, has suggested that whilst he is trying to negotiate a deal with the EU in time for the 31st of October deadline, he will attempt to ensure the UK leaves the EU with or without a deal when Halloween hits. Uh, this is a controversial stance, with MPs this week passing a bill which blocks a no-deal Brexit and forces Johnson to request a Brexit extension on the 19th of October if he has not reached a deal by then that's been ratified by Parliament and pushes the deadline effectively back to the 31st of January 2020. George, do you think MPs were right to take this action to try and prevent a no-deal? Or do you support Britain leaving without a deal whenever we do finally leave? Um, before I answer this question, I would quite like to ask you a question, Callum, um, okay. in the terms that how do you how do you think I am I am going to say to answer this question? Do you think I support a no deal Brexit? <laughs> Very politician esque, George. Reflecting <laughs> a question back to me, um, I think you don't support a no deal Brexit um, as your kind of ideal outcome from Brexit. But you support no deal Brexit in as kind of that so that Brexit happens rather than remain or even a very soft Brexit. Like um, if we went on a kind of Norway style deal. Am I correct in that, George? Well, you're about to find out. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I... I take the position that I don't think Parliament were right to block a no-deal Brexit. Um, I feel like that we still need to use a no-deal Brexit in terms that of a negotiating position. Um, I feel like it is the only way that we can get a deal. Now, saying that, I do not support just going out on no deal and and the idea that we would go out on no deal as well i think people have this this wrong ideology that no deal means we can just literally rip up the paper and just literally move the country halfway around the world which won't happen we will still have to pay 22 billion pounds to the eu through legal costs and um arrangements we would still have to have certain agreements in place um around calais and and certain things like that and there is essentially no such thing as no deal we would still have to have arrangements and we would still have to pay a large amount of money now i I take the problem with the fact, if you asked me this question probably eight months ago, I would say to you that, yeah, I would be very happy to come out with no deal. And I I sit here with quite a, 
a problem because I feel myself changing opinion and and trying to contradict things that I said probably eight months ago. And I would sit here now and say that I could never support a government that would only go out on no deal. And um, it's, it's a weird thing because saying this actually makes me quite upset. And um, I feel that I would, I couldn't feel like I could actually stand as a conservative or remain a member of the party if we only went out on no deal, because I do truly believe that the only possible way for us to have a successful Brexit is to come out with a deal. Um, but I do now feel that that possibility will not happen because of the legislation that has been put in by Parliament now. Um, and I do seriously feel like that Brexit is a lost cause. And I do genuinely feel like it will never, ever happen. And I think that we will see the only way we will see it happen is if we have a general election under the Tories that have the argument that they will go for a no deal Brexit. Um, and I believe that they could, if they do a pact with the Brexit party, then they could have a majority in the House and we will come out no deal. And I would struggle to stand with that position. Um, and I don't really want to think about it because it, it has a lot of consequences for myself. Um, but it's, uh -huh. it, it's, it's, a, it's a scary thing right now. It is. And I, I do not support a no deal Brexit at all. And I still believe in Brexit. I still believe that we should, we should, I, I don't regret my vote. Um, I just wish that Parliament would vote for a deal. And it annoys the hell out of me when I'm seeing MPs now, especially on the Labour side, saying, I wish I voted for the withdrawal agreement. Mm. But what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, as you say, it is, it's a scary time, isn't it, really? Um, and, and of course, I, I categorically do not support a no deal brexit really kind of <laughs> any circumstances whatsoever um but i i do kind of have a, a bit of a question for you george because yeah. you say that you you wouldn't want to support a government that is going for a no deal that's what they want to happen yes and i know the public line that boris johnson uh spins is that uh He's trying to negotiate a deal uh, with the EU. Um, uh, but if we don't get one and, or we can't get it agreed by parliament or whatever, then we will leave anyway with a no deal. My problem with that is that uh, Amber Rudd has, has just come out. Obviously, she resigned um, uh, from, the, from the cabinet um, recently. Uh, possibly also, did she resign from the Conservative Party as well, George? She has indeed. Yeah, she she resigned has indeed. Um, so she's obviously a former member of the cabinet, but, she, but she's come out and said that, um, that Boris Johnson's conservatives or the, or the government had not put an alternative plan to the European Union, um, as in an alternative to what Theresa May managed to negotiate. So therefore, what is he planning on doing? Surely he is planning on a no-deal Brexit, and therefore you uh, are supporting a government that wants a no-deal Brexit. Isn't that the case, George? Um, naively, I don't believe so. I, I do still believe that Johnson actually believes what he is saying. Um, and I do think that there is, he will try and get a deal with the EU. Now, I, I don't believe that I am supporting a government that wants to come out and no deal because 
I the the limit that I have is that if Johnson comes back and there is absolutely no evidence whatsoever of him nego- trying to negotiate a deal or that Parliament cannot um and sorry that Johnson can't negotiate a deal then that is when I will struggle to to remain part of the Conservatives because then he lies to um the Conservative Party and to the public um and and that is where I I I don't believe that it is the right cause of what he's gone to do um but the alternative is is that i hold the position that if he does go to the eu he does get a deal with the eu and he brings it to parliament and they still do not vote it through then i will take the the um the line that we have to come out no deal it's not something that i want to do but it's the only way that we can get out if Parliament seriously cannot get together and move forward on this Brexit idea. I I can't tell you how much distrust um, there is in Parliament currently, especially on the Labour side where they are so determined to stop um, Brexit. Or we, we still don't really know where they are. You know, um, Emily Thornbury the other day on, on Question Time, she said, oh, well, we would go to, if we got into power, we would go to the EU, negotiate a deal, and then we would campaign against that deal. I mean, it doesn't make <laughs> sense. Um, and, you know, I, I can't hold anything against the Lib Dems because they have always taken this line. And as I have always said, I might not agree with what they stand for, but I will never take away the fact that they campaign for and they are one of the only parties in Parliament where people know where they stand. Um, and and I, I find that it's the only way that we can ever really achieve anything. But I, I stand by the fact that we that I support the government because I do believe that Johnson is going for a deal. But if there is no evidence of that deal, then I will um, <laughs> make my choices. Okay, very interesting. And and obviously you were quite um, uh, downbeat, shall we say, uh, earlier in this topic as such, suggesting that you thought, so you, you think that Brexit may not ever happen? Is that is that what you're saying now? Mm, mm, no, absolutely. I, I think we've got a serious problem in Parliament of um, that there will never be a middle ground, middle ground as such. And it's it's getting to the case where I don't see how we can ever actually come to an agreement cross party it's it, it is just literally party politics and i i find it hard that people are taking just one cause as as a reason to join parties or leave parties i get that you are passionate about something but yeah. you are, you have to truly believe in certain causes um and certain policies to go and join parties or leave parties it doesn't um, just because you believe in one thing doesn't mean that you should go and join that party. I mean, I believe that we should reduce tuition fees. It doesn't make me part of Labour or it doesn't make me want to go and join the Lib Dems. <laughs> I don't know what the Lib Dems policy on that is. <laughs> <laughs> um, don't, we don't talk about it. Um, but I, I think you're you're dead right as well, though, because obviously we, we have seen this week um, uh, Philip Lee and uh, Angela Smith uh the effect to the Liberal Democrats, uh, and both of them, I would, I would suggest, uh, other than wanting to stop Brexit, and not particularly uh, in line with a lot of what the uh, Liberal Democrats say, especially Philip Lee, uh, and I, and I, I have um, uh, been having 
uh, internal conversations with, with myself as such uh, about this and about whether or not really I can support the party because of this. Uh, because as you say, um, political parties shouldn't just be about one thing other than maybe the Brexit party maybe are an exception. Um, <laughs> before we go to this song, Great George, how do you think this poll is going to go? Do you think that uh, people are going to support a no-deal Brexit? Absolutely not. I will, I will, um, God, I will eat my own pyjamas that I'm wearing if it's the case that no-deal wins on this. Mm. Uh, <laughs> what do you think? Well, have you got a number that you, you think it's going to be for I think, uh, no? Then I think it will be 85% no and 15% yes. Okay. See, I think no will win, but I think it'll be more like 70%, shall Ooh. we say. Right then, time for our second song break of this evening. But remember to vote on this poll. Do you support a no-deal Brexit? And you can do that at wizardradio.co.uk forward slash listen. And we'll be back very soon. Hello and welcome back to To Be Discussed. So before the break, we asked the question, do you support a no-deal Brexit? And we've got an astonishing result, really. <laughs> so 8% of you have said, yes, you do support a no-deal Brexit, compared to 92% of you that have said, no, you don't. Well, George, I take my hat off to you. You were much closer to that than, than I was. I mean, why do you think that result is as it is? Well, um, I... I think probably that the the, uh, the idea of no deal Brexit does scare a lot of people. Um, I don't blame them. Yeah, but, uh, in the if, obvious if, a bit, but yeah, if, I think if, so. <laughs> if only if only the referendum result was that that clear. It, either way. Yes. Yeah. Well, yeah. We, we, probably we might not be. Uh, we might not be talking about it so much if it had been that clear. <laughs> it's very true. Um, right. Let's move on to our third discussion on a more lighter, happy note, we're asking the question, who is the greatest female music artist of all time? So we have been incredibly lucky that over the years we have seen incredible music artists. They are the people that we have been, they are the people that have been around for quite a while and have become a household name. They are people that we have cried and laughed with and they're people that we sometimes reach out to when we feel lonely. But it is always so incredible to pick just one female artist but we want you to pick one out of the following people whitney houston mariah carey rihanna taylor swift madonna or other but first callum who out of the selection of people would be the greatest female music artist of all time do you have nothing are you slightly obsessed do you need an umbrella ella ella can you just shake it off or do you need to do something like a prayer to come to your answer? Well, it, it's um, it's slightly worrying that, that half of those references I, I don't get. So well, that so, is slightly worrying. It's so so they, says something about my qualifications to talk about this, I think. Just, <laughs> to be honest. So all, all of the little things that I emphasise there, they're all the artist's number one records. Ah, okay. There we are. We 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 now know. We we stand <laughs> in awe at your brilliant introduction, writing I know, skills. I know. Um. So, who do I think is the greatest uh, female music artist of all time? I think it's a, it is incredibly difficult. Um, partly because I I don't necessarily think that 
a- any of the people on this list are, are, are particularly my kind of music. Uh, probably the person I listen to the most out of this list is, is Taylor Swift, but Taylor Swift is partly because she's the most current out of all, all of the options there. Uh, I, I mean, just to kind of talk about her her credentials, as it were, uh, she's the youngest person to win Album of the Year at the Grammys. Uh, she's been included in Rolling Stone's 100 Greatest Songwriters of All Time in 2015, uh, which obviously I think that is a, a real testament to the fact that, that she does have a, a good claim to this, I, I, I do truly think, or at least I think she will when her career is done, because she's also a songwriter, which is obviously uh, massively important in the music industry. Uh, and she's also sold over 150 million singles worldwide. Um so I think Taylor Swift, obviously, there's a, there's a there's a case to be made for her. Truthfully, I think it's probably a bit too soon to talk about her as the greatest female music artist of all time. Um, the kind of name that an, immediately stuck out to me out, out of these was probably Whitney Houston. Um, according to the uh, Guinness World Records, she's the most awarded female artist of all time. So I think that's quite a testament to the fact that Possibly she is the greatest of them all. Uh, you know, she's t- sold 200 million records worldwide. Um, and I think one other thing I'd say about Whitney Houston is that uh, the song um, I Will Always Love You, I think, is is actually a testament to the quality of her, her vocals because there's very few artists that get away with so long unaccompanied singing, as it were. And I think that is a testament to how good she is vocally. Um, what do you think, George? Well, um, so now, uh, again, my my music taste is uh, is a little bit limited. I mean, as as people <laughs> who 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 know me well, and if yeah, if anyone um, caught Callum and I on um, James Gill's James Gilmore's own show, they they would have heard my humming impression of uh, Michael Bublé, and and that's kind of my appetite is michael buble and a bit of jazz but saying (laughs) that um i do very much appreciate and love whitney houston's music i think she's an incredibly or was an incredibly incredibly talented musician her voice was like no other and the note she could hit was just incredible and i and i think she is one of those people that um if you just say the name you automatically think of one of her incredible songs. Um, and I think that it's one of those songs that you can just keep remembering in your head and, and sing. Um, as, as we, as Callum rightly said, it's so hard to pick, just narrow it down to these uh, five female artists, because there are so many to pick from. And, and I'm sure in this vote, the other um vote will actually be quite high because people will probably say, well, actually the person that I think is the best isn't actually on that list. Um, I think no one can deny the, the career that Madonna has had. I think she over God, what 40 odd years, she's been a very successful artist. I mean, she's a little bit strange is you have to say, but (laughs) you can't take away the talent from her voice um, and the performances she puts on, on, on stage as well. Um, 
Mariah Carey again. She's I think she's quite a household name. She's someone that always um, you more relate to at Christmas time from her uh, songs at Christmas and all I want all I want for Christmas. I think that's a massive hit at Christmas. And it's when you kind of remember that Mariah actually existed. Um, so uh, and, and Rihanna, I personally have never really been in touch with Rihanna's music. I think it's quite uh, a little bit young for me a little bit youthy a little bit hip-hop um and i can't really see myself singing along to any of her um tunes apart from umbrella i do quite like umbrella and that's not a bad one um but i would definitely argue in the other section i would definitely argue or, or bring in two artists of beyonce um or celine dion celine dion to me is absolutely perfect um her voice is incredible um and she can take me on titanic just without the crash um right but (laughs) but, no i would i out of these picks i would say whitney houston but callum who would you put as other well uh, one of my immediate thoughts was beyonce definitely i I, um i've been at a barbecue today and and i they they did ask what the topic was going to be and when i said this topic pretty much all of them did actually say beyonce so, so possibly beyonce should have been on this list this and obviously Karen's poor question writing <laughs> uh always blame me george i see how it is um <laughs> I, I, obviously beyonce i think she's got a big claim to it because not only for her solo career but also she, she was part of destiny's child which was obviously one of the best-selling groups in history as well so so there there is also that uh to in, include kind of in her total figures and things like that but the but the other people that i maybe would have included are slightly more current perhaps in uh lady gaga i think there's a there's a big claim to be made that lady gaga should be included there uh you know so, some of her tunes are absolutely amazing uh and she's very similar to madonna in the fact that she is um a, a character shall we say uh, but i often think that the best or the most creative people um generally are a character as it were um so so i don't necessarily think that's like a disqualifying factor it's just a factor of what her personality's like and also amy winehouse i think is you know amy winehouse's voice was incredible really well, and yeah. probably if her, her career hadn't been cut so short uh possibly we could have included her on this list or at least when her career finished at a more kind of appropriate time as it were uh if she'd have lived um i think we possibly could have been talking about her being on this list and obviously it's just incredibly unfortunate what happened do you do you think maybe part of the reason that we are we've got the options here and quite a few of them are um musicians of the past or they've kind of had their peak do you think it's because nowadays artists both male and female are struggling to claim that limelight of individuality where do you think music and and that kind of industry is becoming quite samey for some individuals so it's quite hard to break out and make a your own individual style and and stand out a bit like taylor swift did yeah no i i i I would agree it is a lot harder in a sense i think for music uh for music artists now to uh, yeah, kind of break out and show that they're really different. I think that probably also explains why uh, rap has got a lot more popular in in recent years, uh, because I think because rap wasn't popular 
in the past so much it's it's kind of it's probably going through its its golden period right now um because of that it means that it feels a lot more fresh and you see a lot of uh, music artists that aren't rappers in any sense but they do collaborate with people um who who do grime or or rapped music um but because of the fact that it offers them a chance to do something new and something fresh for sure and who do you think is going to come out on top Callum? Oh, Whitney Houston, I I think will come out on top. What about you? I'm gonna take a uh, wild stab and say Mariah Carey. Okay, very interesting. See what yeah. happens. I don't think she will win, but I'm just gonna be different. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> right. So remember to vote on this uh, question: Who is the greatest female music artist of all time? And the options are Whitney Houston, Mariah Carey, Rihanna. Taylor Swift, Madonna, or other, and you can do that on wizardradio.co.uk forward slash listen. We'll be back before you even know it. Hello and welcome back. So before that break, we asked the question, who is the greatest female music artist of all time? And as always, you guys have been voting away. So the results are in. Whitney Houston got 21%. Mariah Carey got 4%. (laughs) Rihanna got 13%. Taylor Swift got 12%. Madonna got 7%. And Other, that famous artist, got 43%. Shocked, Callum? (laughs) Um, yeah, that, I, I am a little bit, although, as I say, um, I, I did have a, I did have a suspicion that perhaps we, sh- we should have included Beyonce. And I think probably that's where a lot of the other has come from. I mean, who else do you think it could be that has ma- made that result so dominant, really, for other? Uh, um, I don't know. So I think, like you said, Amy Winehouse or um, Celine Dion. Yeah, I guess literally anyone it could be. That's very true. It's quite a long list. Trouble, yes. We might have to do a rerun of that list and include Beyonce and maybe some other people and see see what happens. Right then, time to move on to our fourth discussion of this evening. And we are asking the question, were NATO correct to intervene in the 2011 Libyan uh, civil war? This week was the 50th anniversary of Colonel Gaddafi taking power in Libya when he assumed the title of brotherly leader and guide of the revolution of Libya. Very long-winded. Gaddafi was initially praised for his anti-imperialist stance, support for pan-Arab and pan-African unity, and the improvements he made to the quality of life for many ordinary Libyans. Towards the end of his rule, though, he was increasingly criticised for human rights violations and his links to international terrorism with the criticism eventually spilling into an open civil war. Gaddafi was eventually deposed after an international coalition of nations, including Britain and France, joins the war militarily under the UN Security Council Resolution 1973, or 1973 rather, uh, which demanded an immediate ceasefire and authorised the international community to establish a no-fly zone and to use all means necessary short of foreign occupation to protect civilians. Since then, Libya has struggled and fractured, with the country being controlled by differing party across 
its regions. George, knowing what we know now of the continuing civil war, do you think NATO and the UN were correct to intervene in Libya in 2011, especially when we consider this did lead to the death of Gaddafi? Um, I think that is essentially what um, is key about this is that hindsight, when we look back on these things, is a beautiful thing because we can easily criticise the, the decisions that were made under pressure um, and made when people thought that they were doing the right thing to save lives. And this is the thing NATO got involved to ensure that um, to protect civilians and prevent a massacre. Um, and I, I don't but personally believe from the research that I've been doing on this question, I don't believe they their full intention was to go in and create anything like democracy. It was literally just to make sure that um, civilians' rights were protected and, and there wasn't a massacre that, that went on. Um, I think the grand scheme of things, I think it absolutely there, there are mistakes that were made and, and there are lessons to be learned from it. But ultimately, Gaddafi... Um, was killed and uh, as such the his his reign ended of course um and that was the best thing in my opinion for the libyans um so yes i do think that nato were right to go into to intervene in um, the libyan civil war but at the same time i think we have to they have to absolutely make sure that they um do realize there were mistakes in the process but what what do you think adam yeah, um, I, I do agree basically with your conclusion. Now, I do think ultimately on the kind of uh, summing up the kind of pros and cons and the outcomes and all of this, uh, I do think NATO was correct to intervene in the civil war. Um, but I do think they did in their conduct in the war, but also the conduct afterwards, they they uh, did help to create some of the chaos that we've seen in Libya that's followed, and therefore they they weren't right in that in in those circumstances. Um, so I think the the reason that they went into the war was, as you say, um, they they kind of had a responsibility to protect uh, under a, a UN definition of responsibility to protect, basically to protect uh, international populations from genocide, war crimes, ethnic cleansing and crimes against humanity. Uh, and evidently Gaddafi was uh, guilty of some of these things. Um, and so I think based upon that, they were right to do that. But then we also have to consider the fact that the rebels that they helped also carried out human rights violations against uh, Libyan, the Libyan population. And therefore, um, in a sense, they contradicted their own reason for being there. And as you say, they weren't there about regime change, really. They, they uh, or rather, they didn't want to get, um, they didn't want to occupy Libya and they didn't want to uh, kind of force a democratic transition on it or anything like that. And possibly... Possibly they, they, they were wrong in that because I think you you can't have a scattergun approach to this. You've got to, uh, if you're willing to commit militarily, you've got to stay there and and ensure that the power vacuum is filled, but it's filled yeah. by a democratic body and, and things like this. But I do think it, ultimately uh, humanitarian interventions or, or, or foreign interventions are a really, really no-win situation. Because if we consider in Syria, uh, the US took no intervention or occupation. It was a costly disaster. 
In Libya, they, of course, intervened, but there was no occupation. That was a costly disaster. And in Iraq, they intervened and occupied it, and that was a costly disaster. So ultimately, what I'm trying to say is that whatever happened, there was going to be really negative consequences. I just think in their approach, they could have certainly been better. Um, just before we go to this song break, George, how do you think this poll is going to go? Um, I think that it will be narrow, but I'd say that it's going to go on the side that NATO were correct to intervene um, in Libya. What, what do you think? Mm, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, I think I would agree with you on that. I think people will uh, say, yeah, narrowly that NATO was correct to intervene. Right then, as I say, it's time for the final song break of this evening. Don't forget to vote on this poll. Were NATO correct to intervene in the 2011 Libyan civil war? You can do that at wizardradio.co.uk. Force us listen, and we'll be back very soon. Hello and welcome back. So before the break, we asked the question, were NATO correct to intervene in the 2011 Libyan civil war? And we finally got a poll result correct this evening. Uh, so 54% of you said uh, yes, uh, NATO were correct to intervene in the 2011 Libyan civil war, compared to 46% of you that have said no, they weren't. So George, I think obviously on the balance of it, although it's not exactly a a massive majority, as it were. I think the kind of public opinion is that obviously things didn't quite go according to plan, but um, intervening was better than doing nothing. Do you think that's basically what it is? Yeah, I think absolutely. I think that is. I think if uh, you weigh up the the what could have happened as well if they didn't intervene, it would it would have been in, much much worse than if they did intervene. Yeah, exactly. Right then, uh, we've reached the time to end this evening's show, so thanks very much for listening to To Be Discussed with Cupping Girl. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. So, as mentioned earlier, for the first segment of next week's show, we'd like to hear your thoughts on the question. What is your most uplifting moment of 2019 so far? You can do that by sending us an email to station at wizardradio.co.uk or through Twitter, that's at wizradio. So remember the question is, what is your most uplifting moment of 2019 so far? And we are really looking forward to hearing those uplifting achievements and messages from you next week. But it is now time for Callum and I to be leaving. So as always, I have been, I wanted Rihanna, uh, Beyonce on that questions. Uh, George Lawrence Cup, ruin that. <laughs> I'm not going to try. Uh, and I've been Callum Gurr. Uh, thanks very much for listening, everyone. We'll be back next week for another episode of To Be Discussed. Goodbye, guys. Ciao for now. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment your work stress disappears as you kayak through the canyons. Or the moment you discover the life-changing effects of prickly pear chocolate. But nothing beats the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the very first time. Visit a new state of mind. 
Learn more at hereyouareaz.com.